Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, what's up, everybody? Good evening and welcome to Padres Social Hour. It is Monday, who knew? Uh, April 27th, as they tell me, the 22nd edition of Padres Social Hour version three, I guess, is what we're calling this. Uh, the social distancing edition of Padres Social Hour, trying to entertain, uh, maybe distract a little bit. And yeah, talk a lot of baseball as we wait and wait and wait for actual baseball to return, hopefully, at some point in 2020. More on that conversation coming up very, very shortly, along with my co-hosts today, the 1976 National League Cy Young Award winner, Randy Jones, and Lob Shots himself, uh, Pancake Dad, Brady Phelps, both of us. Uh, both of you looking good. Uh, Randy, uh, last week, as I recall, you were wearing a Jones Family t-shirt. Uh, yes. You understand branding very well. Today, I see a Randy Jones baseball cap. Yeah, Randy Jones Foundation hat, but you know, yeah, I finally got some pottery stuff out of the laundry. So back to Padres. Yay. How about you, Brady? What are you wearing? A pancake? What is that? <laughs> I think no. I'm long overdue for a Randy Jones pancake. <laughs> I, Very one of my earliest social hour memories is actually, speaking of what am I wearing, we were sitting on the couch at the bottom of the Western Metal, and you took the hat off my head. And you said, this is a piece of trash that's worth nothing. And then you grabbed a Sharpie and you wrote 35 on the underbrim. And you said, there, kid, now it's worth something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. Uh, it's pretty like outstanding. That. It was I pretty like this, good. By the way, a lot of people on, on the Facebook comments, they're coming in uh, where everybody's watching from. So like Mel is in Escondido. Uh, she's uh-huh. up here. You saw where Ernie was checking in from. Julie's right across the street from the yard. That's nice. East Village, my old neighborhood. <laughs> Where where are you going? Randy, we know you're in Poway. You're the president of Poway. Uh, Brady, yeah, where no, are you checking in from? I'm in PB, Pacific Beach. And uh, I was, yes, PB opened up today. I took my dog for a walk down to the beach. Did not partake in the uh, surfing lineup, though, today. There were quite a few quite a few people out there. And it's uh, red tide bioluminescent. So I feel like a lot of people are going to be getting a little bit sick from that. Fun to look at, not so fun to swim in. So it was uh, quite a scene down there this morning, though. So. All right. Uh, well, it's just nice to hear people near back toward the beach. I like that. You know, up here, we, you know, we we started, you know, getting getting together, but we get together at Lowe's. We get to, you know, uh, John Deere track. John Deere. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of rednecks. I don't know. Understand it. You know, you just share a, share a dip and I don't know, your coffee or whatever it is. So we, but it's, you know, it's all good, but I'm just glad to hear people starting to get back out, get some sunshine and get just one day closer to normalcy. And I'm in, I'm all for it. I'm ready to go. Well, that that's the hope, obviously. Jeff Passon of ESPN.com in terms of uh, baseball normalcy had, uh, I don't even know if I would call it a report today. It was more just a long sort of, it was a good story. It was a good article, but he, he wasn't necessarily reporting any like hard news. He was just saying, here's sort of generally what I've been hearing and here's how it might spin forward. And it was rather optimistic, I think, in its timeline. It said, hey, look, they would like to have baseball, a plan figured out by some point in May. They would like to get the players approval and get everybody together by June. And then they would like to be able to start the season in earnest in July. You would play under this particular plan, you know, four months 
of a regular season and then a postseason that would go into November and would be played uh, at its finale, at least a World Series at a neutral site location in a warm weather place. Asterisk is always that's like best case scenario. That's medical stuff working out. That's if everything goes completely perfectly. You know, that's if uh, not only the curve starts to become more flattened, but if, you know, we have testing available and all that kind of stuff. But that's where MLB's head is at right now. Um, and again, I think that would be great. You know, if you can get us playing regular season games by July, you can play 81 games. You can play 100 games, some semblance of a regular season. So let's just suspend reality for a few minutes, guys. Talk about that. Um, and, and let's say that baseball is able to pull this off. And maybe it's a biosphere situation in Arizona. Maybe there's three leagues going on, one in Texas, one in Florida, one in Arizona. Maybe by later in the summer, other places start opening up and things start getting better. Let's just imagine the best case scenario right now. From a baseball standpoint, RJ, as a guy who's been around this game your entire life, how many games do you think they would have to play in order for there to be like a legitimate champion crowned at the end of it? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I still, I'm going to take half a season. You know, I got to go with 81. You know, 81 games, I think it would be appropriate. Uh, you're talking about four months of baseball, and um, that's right in the realm of possibility. 100 is even better, in my opinion. You know, but any anything more than that, I think we probably push in the envelope, uh, depending on how if you're gonna, you know, how many sites you're gonna play games. Are they gonna limit those sites, or you know how that all configuration comes, which we have no idea. But I think you know overall, if you can get in, you know, a half a season, I I think you got to call it legit, especially under the scenario, the, the situation we're in. Brady, for you, you think with like an eighty-one or a hundred, any fewer than that, could you hand out a World Series trophy with legitimacy? I mean, at this point, if it's not a full season, when you, I mean, obviously you can look behind me and see that I'm like a baseball history fan and a game with statistics, uh, the history and the, and the way that these things line up and a history of also handing out asterisks when, uh, you know, history is challenged as far as in the historical context. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to think about anything other than a full season. But in the state that we're in, I mean, everybody is ready for some baseball. So at this point, whether it's 81 or 31, I mean, there's people, there's going to be caveats, right? I mean, it wouldn't be the most Padres thing ever to win their first World Series and then have people just say, but it was when they only played 81 games, you know, and that would be like the most Padres thing in history. But uh, at this point, I mean, whether it's 81 or 31, like I don't really care if we could just see some baseball. I don't know that people are going to look at it as a legitimate title regardless. If it's not a full season, I feel like that mentality of like, eh, asterisk, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting, obviously. One of the ideas that sort of been bouncing around in my head and passed and wrote about it today actually was if, you know, because of timing, you're not able to play maybe more than 40 games or more than 60 games or something like that. Maybe you say, all right, forget a season, forget the World Series. Let's just create a super tournament. Uh, a cup tournament, you know, you call it whatever you want. You call it the Players Cup or something like that, and uh, you you create a best of three bracket, NCAA basketball style, and you just play a tournament. It would get good ratings. People would be interested in it. You're not handing out the World Series trophy at the end of the year, but you are playing for something. You're trying to win something. It would be entertainment. It would be sport. Uh, it would be baseball. Uh, but but you're right. I guess like no matter what, you know, people are going to look back. I think and say, hey, look, that was the pandemic year. Uh, it's not the same thing as what's a place. Uh, the year previous or the 20 years previous. The exception being, and RJ, you were around for this as a player, 81, the Dodgers' last title, right? strike season. And they they completely changed the way postseason eligibility worked that year, playing the two split seasons. And and when I hear Joe Buck during the World Series saying, hey, the Dodgers haven't won a title since 1981, he doesn't say, but of course, that was the strike season. 
So maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe it would just sort of become a, a part of the accepted history of the game. Yeah, it could be, be it and also on the other side, not a bad point. To, maybe we reconfigure. Maybe there's not going to be a quote-unquote World Series like we've had every year when we play a full season. You know, maybe it's some kind of modified, you know, competition. You know, like you said, maybe it's like uh, you know, basketball in the, in the Final Four. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think it's just so much more important, gentlemen, that we get the game back. The guy, number one, guys playing, uh, the economy back flowing and entertaining, you know, guys, you know, the fans on TV or being able at some point to get to the ballpark and enjoy a ball game. I mean, that's more important to me than any title. Who I don't care about a World Series. I just want to get our game back and, and going, moving forward. And hey, it's just one of those years, one of those freak things. And you know, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think. I don't know if I'd go crazy or get really that upset if there wasn't a World Series this year. Yeah, that's no, it's a fair point. I, I glossed over the you Dodgers. Know. Title, by the way. No offense, LA. Sorry. I was going to make the assumption that it was during '88. You were referring to a previous Joe Buck broadcast. That's why you mentioned the '81. It would be kind of cool for the Padres, though. If they, what if they were the only, you know, like they go down as the only, you know, uh, major league baseball tournament champion in history. You know, like they're 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 the only one ever to to wear that you know weird title that you're talking about for the tournament. And of course, like, like Chris Paddock will throw a no hitter in a seven inning game because it'll be a right, right, right. we'll have to like have that thing hanging over us as well. No, man, it's not a real no hitter. Not a real no hitter. Not a real no hitter. I'm sorry. Game. If they play a seven inning game, it's a I don't. Game. It, no, don't even See? go. There. This is what we're talking about. Now, there's, I, I that, there's a lot. That's an asterisk. And yeah, that, I've that, a lot that, the last couple years. You, know, you, got you got to go find those six outs somewhere, me. You got to get, you know, come on. <laughs> I, I give Eddie a hard time about on the radio whenever we talk. Yeah. Say, you know, like, hey, look, man, it could be like a combined five inning range shortened deal. Like you're going to have to take what you can get here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good point. But you got to start somewhere. Hey, the, yeah. You know, which day hey, we're still going to be around it's sooner or later. It's going to happen. Yeah. No, I mean, somebody, goes, yeah, somebody go nine innings. Right, Brady? Somebody nine go. innings, not seven. We don't need any asterisks on That's the show right. hitter, Randy. He was. It's probably going to happen. The asterisk. I know. That's, a minor, uh, that's a minor league no hitter. Seven. If they do it in the big leagues this year. Uh, yeah. Anyway, not to throw cold water on the whole thing. So anyway, that was sort of Jeff Passan's theory, I guess, is kind of the way I want to put it. He threw all this out there. He said, here are the possibilities. Here's what they would like to do. My main takeaway, I guess, would be everybody. And we knew this, I think. Everybody wants to play. You know, everybody is motivated to play uh, both sides, all sides. They would love to see it happen. But of course, the reality is, is far more complicated than those aspirations. So we all, as we have been for the last couple months now, we just kind of sit back, wait and uh, and see how things develop. NBA over the weekend, they kind of released a statement saying, hey, we're going to try and open the practice facilities back up. And everybody like jumped on that saying, oh, good. This means basketball is going to return soon. A couple of problems. One, what they were sort of suggesting was like what's already been taking place at, at Petco for the last couple of months, which is like guys can come in and kind of work out on their own or in very small groups and not really be near each other. That's not necessarily a first step to returning to playing games. And then already today, just 48 hours later, the NBA backtracked on all that. They said, all right, let's pump the brakes on this thing, kind of wait and see what happens. So my point of bringing that up is just like this thing is so incredibly fluid. And uh, what is said on Saturday might not apply anymore on Monday. And, and that's just the complexity of the situation. So we, we kind of move with it from that. Speaking of well, basketball, you know, I, as uh, I'm sure, yeah, Randy, yes. No, I was just going to mention, like I mentioned you guys last Thursday, I did run down to the clubhouse, uh, which was awesome. I mean, I just never wanted, just fun to go down to Petco Park, 
you know, for a couple hours and went down and actually needed some baseballs from Spence in the clubhouse. And it was able to, Craig Stateman was working out. I saw Fernando Tatis down in the clubhouse, you know, working out, uh, you know, and they get the training trainers and all there. If somebody needs, you know, to work, but it's, it's keeping these guys at least sane. they're getting to the ballpark. They're working out a little bit. Uh, you know, they're not sitting around the house getting stagnant. So, yeah, I just thought it was a pretty positive atmosphere considering where we're at. But it was just, it was encouraging. I mean, hey, it was fun for me to spend 30 minutes down there and see I had a few of the boys and then I came on back home. But uh, I'm just saying, I think that's really helping and making a difference with the players. Yeah, I think one, it's a taste of normalcy. And two, like one of the things I've learned just going through life in the last few weeks is like routine matters, you know, and being able to sort of get into a routine, even if it's a far different routine than anything we've right. had. You know, Brady, you and I have talked about this in terms of kids. I mean, for them especially, uh, you know, just being able to provide some semblance of structure really does seem to be a positive for everybody, baseball players included, of course. Yeah, I think that it doesn't. I mean, kids, certainly it's important. And us trying to do homeschooling, I mean, that's a whole nother level of complexity. Um, but for all of us, for me and for you, for all, it doesn't matter your age or your stage. Uh, routine, it, it matters. And this has certainly thrown everyone's routine for a loop. And so we figure out a way to make it work. We figure out a way to find new patterns, new rhythms, and hopefully, you know, be as normal as we can while uh, things around us are, it's hard and it's real. And, you know, it doesn't take away from the compassion that we feel for um, anyone that's being affected by this, but finding that routine and whatever that is for you, for me, it's walking my dog in the morning. And, you know, and that's, that's what starts the routine. What used to be like getting the kids packed up and off to school. Now it's, getting the kids packed up in front of their laptops for their zoom meetings for school. You know, it's just, it's a different world. We got to figure it out. Hey Brady, I, what I want to know, how you doing with this new math that the kids are learning? How you doing it's, with that new math? I can't think of anything worse actually than the new math. It's other than maybe coronavirus. It's so terrible. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, it takes me forever. And I mean, I was, I was a, Pretty competent I, student, and not I've, so much but anymore. I've, I've, I've heard that so much about the, and I don't know nothing. Yeah. You guys, when your when your kids are forty three and forty two, you know, to worry about that new math. You know what I mean, guys? <laughs> but, you know, overall, I've heard that more comments, even my two daughters, that how this new math or whatever, it's driving them crazy. Trying to I'm, work sh- I'm sure there's value to it. I just haven't been able to find out what it is. I, um, <laughs> it's really, it's really difficult. Like I, I did pretty well in math, and now it's just. It's all it's thrown out the window. So it, it, it's wild times indeed. We're uh, we're just tracing letters in my house, so I'm not I'm not too worried about it. Right uh, one, one of the motivations, obviously, uh, that baseball has to try to get back or any sport is that with so little else going on, it's just kind of a great opportunity to, to grab the attention of the nation. And we saw that this past weekend with the NFL draft. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on in the show with MJ Acosta of NFL Network. Uh, but also we saw this Michael Jordan documentary again last night, The Last Dance. Uh, parts three and four of the 10 part documentary aired uh, last night. And and guys, like for me, one of my main takeaways from thinking more about Michael Jordan and Brady, like you, you know, I, I grew up with these teams being what they were, not a fan of the teams, but just like they're front and center always. And we think of Michael Jordan as the ultimate champion, the ultimate competitor. Um, but it was a good reminder watching, especially the episodes last night, this guy went six full seasons as one of the best players in basketball before he ever won a title. And I guess my point is it is so hard to win a championship. And now look, he'll go on to win six, uh, but it is such an, a near impossible thing. It seems like in sports. And so I started thinking perhaps unfairly to him about Fernando Tatis jr. Last night, 
And, you know, like we, we think of him arriving on the scene and being such a dynamo. And he is, of course, as Jordan was when he arrived for the for the Bulls. But six years before he finally was able to celebrate his first championship. It is not easy, Randy, to be the last team standing. No, never, never. And, uh, you know, and, and to realize and understand to watch that and how competitive, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, is and you just see his intensity. And, and then you think back and you go, what was those first, those first six years, you know, you're driving him probably crazy. And then to finally get a taste of a championship and then to, you know, add five to it, it's just incredible. It's just it says a lot of magic about his career and what, what he brings to that the sport of basketball. Absolutely incredible, I think. Yeah, I feel like Padre fans, uh, we we have our own jump in in 23, Tatis. And it's, uh, you know, we, we certainly see his talent and, and see what he has the potential to do and the, and the way that people rise uh, around him. Um, and yet, you know, when we when he played his first at bat as a Padre, if you would have told every Padre fan, you're going to get a championship, but it's not for six years. It's like, tell me where to sign. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> I, I know that's a long time to wait, but tell me where to sign because we've been waiting since 69. So it was staggering to hear Jordan answer questions. I don't know if I remember if it was in 90 or 91 in the playoffs from the media about like, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're the guy who can't win the big one. You know, you're the guy that can't get over the hump. You're the right. team that can't get over the hump. Because again, we think of him as the ultimate champion, six rings, everything like that. But there was a point in his career, and it wasn't at the very beginning of his career where he had to answer those questions the way so many athletes did. And so, again, to sort of spin it back to baseball, you start thinking about just in the last few decades, right? Like the Mets had a great team in 86. They won one title. Uh, in the 90s, the Braves won the division year after year after year, one World Series championship. In the 2000s, the Phillies looked like they were going to be something of a dynasty. They weren't. In the 2010s, when the Cubs finally broke through and won for the first time in forever, he said, man, look at that young core. They're going to be in this thing every single year. They haven't gotten back to it since. It is like, I mean, the Giants winning three in the decade, it's a pretty remarkable thing. No team's gone back to back since the Yankees won three in a row, you know, in the late 90s uh, through 2000. I mean, it is such a, a staggeringly difficult thing. Ask the Dodgers who are winning 100-whatever games every year and can't win a World Series. Um, something to keep in mind. And I know sort of like where the Padres' competitive arc is, we haven't gotten yet to this point of like getting into the postseason and seeing what happens. Hopefully that begins ASAP. Uh, but man, like good reminders all over the place, guys, about you know the difficulty of finally winning a championship and no matter the sport. Yeah, especially you know, you have a World Championship is, is, is the... You know, it's it's the epitome. It's what you what you want, you know. But just to get get your franchise, your organization, your you and your teammates, and get to the playoffs every year, year in and year out. You know, and have that opportunity to move forward into the championship rounds. That's what it's all about. Let's we need to get there. Let's get there, and you know, and then let the rest happen, guys. But you know, I just like to see this ball club. You know, you know, get to that point where every in every year. They were in the middle of the of the hunt, you know, to win maybe the division, you know, get to the playoffs, you know, and then it's going to take care of itself. Preach, I love it. And to Four. Jesse's point, yeah, get in the tournament. Yep. Yes. Which get you know, if, the if there was some tournament this year on a shortened season, <laughs> you know, any tournament. I mean, listen, the Dodgers on paper are. It's crazy what that they have going, especially with Mookie Betts, and you know, if they were to have an entire season, you know, water tends to find its level. And so they're going to be in the conversation in the playoffs, most likely. So a shortened season scenario 
and an opportunity for the Padres with our young talent and with Tatis and Machado and Paddock and the crew, you know, maybe that's our opportunity to catch lightning in a bottle and make a run at this thing. And so, you know, health, health first, of course, safety first, but man, if we can get some baseball on the field, I feel really good about the Padres chances. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more volatility in a shortened season and more opportunity for things to go perhaps the way they wouldn't over the course of 162 games. We always say baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. Could be a sprint in 2020, yeah. and that would surely naturally uh, shake things up. Uh, one final Michael Jordan note, and this one ties back into the Padres. Uh, Todd Radom, I think, tweeted this over the weekend. I saw it. Absolutely. i never seen this before. So it's a, an ad in the newspaper, assumingly in Chicago, Michael Jordan's first NBA game. Come out. Here's the number to get tickets. So first of all, not a sellout, uh, even though he came in with big time hype after the Olympics that year. Uh, oh, by the way, the chicken will be there. The chicken yeah. is at Michael Jordan's first game. And I mean, he's getting like almost as much billing as MJ is for the very first NBA game of Michael Jordan's career. Brady, this feels to me very much up your alley. This is remarkable to me. Um, I'm obsessed with the chicken. And I absolutely love that this was, I mean, he, that I, people, I think, I don't even think that anybody who wasn't living through that and, and really remembers um, well, obviously, if you weren't living through, you wouldn't remember. But I, don't, I think people forget how big of a deal he was. You know, taking pictures with the president. I mean, he was he was so much bigger than certainly bigger than San Diego, certainly b- bigger than baseball. Clearly, as he's, I mean, he he is using he's propping up Michael Jordan in that ad. It's incredible, and I just I absolutely love. A, a few years back, I, I don't remember, and if I get fat checked, it'll probably be wrong. But I remember seeing one of his heads. You know, he's on display in Cooperstown. He had multiple heads over the years. Well, one of his heads was up for auction. And I thought, I saw it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to fly under the radar. And I was the, the the winning leading bidder at $510. And I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. Like, this is going to be the best $500 I've ever spent in my life. And it would probably be right back there up on the wall somehow. <laughs> and sure enough, like that, it went for like ten grand, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. <laughs> just That's tiny great. little fleeting moment of thinking that I had a chance of getting a chicken head." Yeah, you, yeah, you got a couple of feathers. Is all you got, man. Not even that is terrible. But man, he was an absolute legend, and still is. I absolutely, I love the cross sport Jordan. It's so cool. Fall of '84, the chicken and Michael Jordan at Chicago Stadium. I thought that was just uh, awesome. absolutely stellar stuff. All right, uh, we'll stick with the nostalgic theme, uh, or at least the retro theme. Uh, in the mid-70s, there were a lot of baseball teams in financial trouble. Padres, of course, were one of them. You know, for a time, there were rumors, uh, that, not even just rumors, there were reports that the Padres were on their way to move to Washington, D.C., uh, so much so that there have been baseball cards printed, uh, you know, with like National League Washington and Padre players on it. Obviously, Ray Kroc swoops in, saves the day, and the rest is history here in San Diego. Uh, but the White Sox were in financial trouble, and there were rumors uh, that they might move to the west coast of Florida, where the Rays eventually end up as an expansion team. Uh, and the San Francisco Giants playing a candlestick in the mid-70s were another team in deep financial trouble. They weren't drawing at all. I think I read today one year the Giants drew like 500000 for the season. You know, that's it. Something crazy. And uh, so there was a real near moment uh, in which the Giants were going to move to Toronto. And a great story in The Athletic today about how we got the opportunity to learn more about that. But also for the very first time ever, see what the uniform might have looked like had the Giants moved to Ontario, Canada. First of all, terrible. Just terrible design. <laughs> Secondly, um, this again, apparently came really close to happening. You, you can read the story by Mark Kerrigan, the athletic, to get more details. 
basically this isn't exactly an image of it. Somebody had the design described to them and then they created this digital image. But you see the big G and the big S with Toronto on top of it. And then instead of uh, NY or SF on the hat, obviously it's TG. Uh, Brady, another one I feel like is very much up your alley. But Randy, I'll start with you. RJ, I mean, can you imagine the Padres being in a division with the Toronto Giants in the 70s? I can't, I can't even imagine that. And, and I reflect back to after 73, my first year with the ball club and being here in San Diego, I, I remember being down at the stadium at the Murph and, and all the boxes were packed. They had, Everything was packed up and they, and they were they were going to load them up and they were shipping them to, to, to Washington. I, I can remember that distinctly. Uh, and, and the following week, when Mr. Croc popped up and said, no, nope, we're not going anywhere. You know, and what a celebration for, like, a lot of us as players, man. We, I don't think any of us are really looking forward to trying to re- relocate all the way across the country. And, and much less can you imagine, you know, I, I don't know about, you know, playing in Candlestick Park. I don't know. Toronto might have been an advantage to them, you know. You know, if you ever, ever been in Candlestick Park or tried to play baseball, it, it was tough. But uh that, that would have been insane, you know, what that – if all these moves would have made it, in, that would have changed baseball, you know, for quite a few years, in my opinion. I think it would have changed baseball for, I mean, much longer than quite a few. I mean, it would have altered the the history of the game with San Diego going to Washington, with especially with San Francisco went to Toronto. I mean, the whole thing would be just turned upside down, and I might not hate the Giants as much as I do now if they weren't <laughs> in San Francisco. I don't know. Um, I, I just – I think the, the – it's so wild to me that the decision of a couple ownership, and as I read this story on The Athletic about um, the way the mayor of San Francisco was the one who got j- recently been elected and kind of stepped in and, you know, said, like, we're not losing the Giants. We're keeping them here. I mean, just, I mean, what would that have done to the rivalry of the West Coast teams? Um, it's the whole thing is just, it's wild to think about. And what a terrible looking uniform, uniform. that is. I mean, that is really, really ugly. And the only, um, you know, just as a visual, the T and the G, you know, I, I immediately think of Tony Gwynn, obviously, when I see that. So if you, you you put a little brown and yellow on that, that could be, you know, like a fun little fun little hat for uh, San Diegans that are representing uh, T. Gwynn and not the Toronto Giants. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was a, but guys, those would have blended right in with the ones the Houston Astros were wearing and even the Padres, we were in those gold ones, look like a bunch of bananas running around. And they'd have fit right in with those, man. How did you like wearing those banana uniforms, Randy? Oh, they were awful. That really? So but you yeah, look I, so good wearing them, oh, man. Oh, stop it, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 23-year-old bananas is what it was, man. You know, some of, the, some of the guys look really bad in them. You know, I just thought Nate Colbert never did look good in that gold uniform. He just did. He didn't fit. Uh-uh. That was hilarious. You know? I feel like a lot of the looks, you know, they 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 go out of style for a reason. And then we give it 20, 30 years and we, we fall back in love yeah. with it. The nostalgia. Oh, I love it. The powder blues are a great example. Those are coming back now. A lot of teams are reintroducing powder blues. I mean, by the late 80s, early 90s, whenever the last couple existed, I mean, they were sort of like a laughing stock. And everybody's like, oh, you got to get rid of these powder blue uniforms. And now every team under the sun, it seems like, or at least half of them. Uh, Rangers, are- Cardinals, Phillies, everyone, like the greatest era of their uniforms are those powder blues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So yeah. rough uniform yeah, right. talk. Brady and I could do that all night long, but I don't I don't think most would be interested. Um <laughs> Fernando Tatis Jr. Players League. I believe he has his final game of his 29-game round robin tonight. He was in action yesterday on TV, by the way, uh, not just online, which was pretty cool. Uh, A couple of great Fernando highlights. 
uh, including a diving catch by Tommy Pham in left field. Sun is down. Fly Prison goes. Left, field. left fielder giving chase. Oh! He's got it. Oh! Oh! Oh my God! <laughs> and of course, the highlight is not the catch itself, Randy, uh, but rather Fernando's reaction to it. I love it. That's that's amazing. You know, he's he's having too much for them. I mentioned to him, he goes. How's it going? He said he was having a blast. That's just all he said. He's having a blast doing that. Uh, we talked about Padre history earlier and the lack of no hitters. You want an asterisk. I'll give you an asterisk because last night, Fernando Tatis Jr. threw the first no hitter in Padre history. Wow. Strike three. Oh! Center field. Grisham. Oh! Makes the catch in the ball game is a no hit up. Like everyone had a hand in this win, and that's usually the case. Little perfecto. Feels good to dominate a game like that. Eight, nothing. Thank you. Today, the San Diego Padres jumped out to early lead in the first and never looked back. Wait a second, fam. Is credited with the win. I just throw first Padres history no header. I'm the go up. I think he says I'm the go. Did you hear it? Did you hear it, Justin? I'm the go. Pointed it out to me. I missed it earlier. I'm the go up. It's amazing. The like I just. Who has that much energy playing a video game? He's dancing, <laughs> he's singing before the actual plays. I mean, and then the reactions, the howling. I mean, this who has more fun on the face of the earth than Fernando Tatis Jr.? It's amazing. And then he referred to himself as the goat, which I mean, it's like the goat comment of goats. I don't even know. I it's amazing. <laughs> we have to make that a thing, Jesse. Goat. I'm into it. Yeah, I like this. RJ's the goat lefty. Uh, but yep, there you like go. So you want your asterisk? Uh, three innings. It looked like a combined because they were showing Paddock and Strom, uh, right. and in a video game. So that's like a lot of asterisks. That's a, that's a lot of asterisks. <laughs> but, yeah. But well, at now, point, we, now, we, now we got one. So shut up. All right, there. There you okay. go. Now we got another. All right, you guys all feel better. All right. It's amazing, amazing how fast you spun on that. It's like first it was an asterisk, it was seven <laughs> innings. Now it's like it's a video game. It's combined. It's only three innings. It's done. We have the done. Yeah. Put it on I'll the cover of the media guide. Yeah, do asterisks on him. Yeah, I don't know. Why aren't I like? I get the ideas to watch the the players play the game, but he's so small up in the corner. It's like make him big. He is the star of that video game show, both you know, figuratively, literally. But I I just don't. I don't like that he's so tiny. He should be much, much bigger. Yeah, look at him. You can barely see uh, him in his little tiny box. No, you're right. It's a very fair point, and and that's a tremendous segue uh, to our next topic, which is the NFL draft. Uh, because they did it, the whole thing, as I'm sure most people saw, a video conference, uh, you know, a million different places, everything like that. It was remarkable, I thought, how smoothly it was pulled off. And to talk about the uh, technical feat that was the 2020 NFL Draft, caught up with old friend MJ Acosta of NFL Network. MJ, great to see you, and thank you. A familiar face to plenty who uh, watch uh, TV sports in San Diego, now with NFL Network. So what did you make of the virtual draft that counted? Usually we say something is virtual. It doesn't uh, count for anything. It's pretend. This is very real for the NFL. You know, I think the biggest takeaway was how 
smooth everything went. I mean, I was almost holding my breath the first few picks, like, please don't let anyone's Wi-Fi connection go off or don't let them share like an accidental part of their screen <laughs> onto the live broadcast. But honestly, um, I really liked the sort of intimacy of it, seeing everybody's kids in the background, Bo Belichick's dog. Um, I think it was really cool to, to see that aspect of it that uh, fans don't usually get to see. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you weren't following pick by pick, like a, a real, you know, football junkie, right. I feel like Belichick's dog might have been the biggest story of the first round of the draft. <laughs> Totally. It's a great looking dog. Um, and just he, like, you know how they always say dogs look like their owners. I mean, the stoic expression on the dog's face could not have been more Belichickian if you tried. Yeah, he's a very serious dog. He's not worried about losing Tom Brady or the <laughs> treats that Tom would give him at practice or anything like that. You mentioned it to me. That was maybe the most fascinating thing is like we got to see these GMs and coaches, uh, you know, owners in some cases more like humans than they usually allow themselves to be seen. You and I know this very well in football. There's like a big wall generally that's yeah. put up uh, by these guys. And and it was refreshing, I thought, to see the other side. A hundred percent. And the tears get me every time to see like huge offensive linemen just losing it, breaking it down. I mean, it just it, it really accentuates the fact that their lives and their families' lives have now changed forever. It's similar with any draft, the MLB draft, NBA. It's the point in their lives that they will never forget. And we all get to be a witness to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the fact that they were able to pull it off technologically, as you kind of alluded to, was remarkable. It was amazing how smoothly the whole thing went. Back to the coaches and GMs. Do you do you think, and maybe this is optimistic, and there's no way to know the answer, of course, but like, do, do you think perhaps what just took place here could be the end of the 20-hour workdays and the guys sleeping on cots in their offices to show that they're the hardest worker and never seeing their families anymore? It seemed like right. so many of the guys made comments coming out of it, the coaches and GMs especially, about, wow, this has been so nice. I've actually seen my kids. I've actually gotten to help with homework, all that kind of thing. Right. I think that a lot of the aspects that we've seen through isolation, shelter in place, quarantine, whatever you want to call it, uh, will have to stay for the, for the long run. I mean, we just don't know what the reality, not just of the sports world, but what our lives will look like post pandemic, if you will. Surely it will not look the same. Normal is not what, what it was, what it was in February, for example, uh, once July, September, October comes around. So I think there will be elements that we'll see a lot more working from home aspects, uh, in everyone's lives, especially in sports. Football maybe a little differently because I think once this starts to fade away a little bit, it sort of gears up right into football season. If the timing works out. Um, so I think people will be itching just to get back out to facilities. But again, we'll have to follow what the CDC and what guidelines um, are nationwide. So it's going to be really interesting. But I'm not going to lie. I'm not mad at working from home. Yeah, well, you got a great setup there. I mean, that's maybe the best home studio we've seen. So. Oh, thank you. It was my passion project. Kept me from losing my mind. Yeah, for the first uh, like months of quarantine, I, I went crazy on Amazon buying all the lights possible. So the, the corner is a key too. I yeah. feel like being in yeah. the corner, we're gonna have to try that. We're gonna have to try You're that. Um, like corner adjacent. I, I see it. I see it. Yeah, it kind of works. Um, as far as we know, is the NFL sort of proceeding as if they will begin their season on time this summer? I imagine with a billion contingencies. Right. Uh, yeah, that is the assumption at this point that everything will proceed on a timeline as if. The first week of September will be the start of the regular season as of today, right? Um, that could change tomorrow. It can change in two weeks. But on a day-by-day basis, the NFL is taking it as if their season will proceed as scheduled. What will be impacted, however, and has already started, is the off-season training. Similar to MLB and spring training, uh, which stopped abruptly, as you know, um, 
OTAs, the off-season training um, activities for each team in the NFL have now been virtual. So, for example, here in the Bay Area, the Raiders had their first day of uh, virtual classroom, if you will. And apparently it went well. So those things will be highly impacted as we move closer to the summer. That's another one. It'll be very interesting to see in the future how much all of that changes. The pre-draft stuff in terms of interviewing these prospects all being done virtually. And now, as you said, you know, film study with the rookies, uh, with these rookie camps and OTAs not being able to take place. Fascinating stuff, obviously, across the uh, sports landscape. MJ Acosta, NFL Network. Wonderful to see you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it's MJ, one of the best people uh, in our little business. She was at Channel 7 here uh, in San Diego for a little while. Um, thank you to MJ for joining us. Guys, uh, bring back uh, Brady and Randy here. First of all, as I said a couple of times, I'll say it again. I, I was stunned the fluidity of that from a telecast standpoint. I mean, we put this thing together every day and there's like one, two, there's like three of us, you know, here and imagine doing it with all the coaches and all the GMs. Uh, truly remarkable. But Randy, I, I loved seeing Bill Belichick's dog. Like that kind of stuff is fun yeah. to me. Turn these guys into human beings a little bit. Yeah, you it really did. I thought the whole thing when you when you look at it that way, I I that was entertaining to me. I, I like like the atmosphere and you know, some normalcy to their lives that we never get to see. Uh, you know, and just, and just different things. A lot of stuff maybe I don't understand. They'll follow the NFL draft, you know, that that much. But, it's, you know, it seemed like one one guy that I, I can't remember the kid. The young man, I think he went in the, I, I'm going to say maybe around 11 or 12 or somewhere right in there. And, you know, just got drafted. But yet, all I know, they interviewed him. He had a big old giant gold Rolex on. And I saw him getting out of a Bentley, you know, and I'm scratching my head going, how do you get out of a Bentley and have a big Rolex on and you, you haven't even signed yet? That confused me. I don't, I mean, there are things that take place, Randy. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the way uh, we have big time. I don't, I don't think I'm familiar with it, gentlemen. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. I'll send you Mark Emmert's number. You can call him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm just sorry. I'm just sitting there kind of watching going, huh, oh, that's interesting. You, know, I mean, you weren't you weren't forwarded a ton of money before you uh, signed your first big contract, Randy? No, I I paid my wife's Volkswagen off, and we we were out of there. I mean, we were gone. <laughs> All five hundred bucks, man, gone. Spin it, Brady. I, I get the it. sense the the leagues, and, I, and I had a it was a Timex watch, and I think I still have it. It still ticks, <laughs> but does it work? It does. It does. I'm telling you, man. They last they forever. forever. <laughs> Timex Rolex. It's kind of yeah, yeah. What? Well, give or take a thousand. Just uh, sorry, buddy. Uh, Brady, I, <laughs> I got to figure all the leagues, all the leagues, international, yeah. national, everywhere. They are keeping such a close eye on each other. I don't want to say it's one of these things where like they're waiting to see who blinks, but you know, it, they all recognize, hey, we could have the sports world to ourselves if we can figure out a way to make this work. They also all recognize how difficult that could be. It's got to be a very interesting moment for these commissioners. Yeah, and I that's the part of me that as much as I love I loved, you know, I'm not a big Patriots fan, but I did love seeing Belichick's dog. Um I loved uh I loved seeing the kids swarming the the GMs and the coaches alike. I did think that that was really cool, but I also because I know the way that sports business works to a certain extent, I also knew that Goodell was up there like the grand puppeteer pulling the string telling everybody, "Keep the kids in the screen longer." Uh, show the kids more. And so I felt like I was kind of being played a little bit, um, which is such a pessimistic way to look at it. And I'm not proud of it, but I did kind of feel like, oh, Goodell, he's getting, you know, he's, 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 he's got me, you know, because he threw the kids out there and I, this is what he's doing. 
but you're right. Everyone's got to be watching. I mean, especially with the NFL, it's a strategic move, right? I mean, uh, concussions and the fallout surrounding them uh, has been obviously a huge issue clouding over the NFL for years now. And, you know, roll out a bunch of kids of all the families and turn these, uh, you know, formerly robots into real people. And now you're reinvested, right? And so um, it was fascinating for me. I mean, there were some glitches obviously here and there, but on the grand scale of what it was, my goodness, that was an impressive production. And how great is it to see, you know, some of the memes that come from it and, you know, looking at Cliff uh, Kingsbury's house versus Belichick's house. And it's like six rings, no rings, or, you know, I don't, I don't remember <laughs> the exact, but it was pretty funny to watch everyone's different setups. And, you know, similar to here, it's like, you know, seeing where people are and where they live, like when everyone's in their home, it's like, you can't hide, you can't like fabricate. It's, it's your home. That's it. You just put up your boxing gloves or your pumpkins or your, uh, <laughs> your boys hat, whatever you got. Uh, so obviously, like I said, everybody watching everywhere, trying to see how it works. We've talked a lot about baseball being played in the Pacific Rim in the last couple of weeks on this show because they're actually playing baseball in the Pacific Rim uh, in the uh, Chinese Professional Baseball League, Taiwan, the CPBL. Uh, they have been playing for a couple of weeks now without fans. Of course, we've been keeping a very close eye on that. This was fun, though. This this one that popped up. Uh, check it out here. This is a, a kid from Arizona who is pitching in that league. His name is Ryan Carpenter. He actually spent the last couple of years pitching for the Tigers. And uh, his fiance secretly arranged to have her face put on four cardboard cutouts of fans so that she could be there supporting him uh, for his home games. He pitches uh, for the Monkees. So, you know, we, you've seen these pictures, I'm sure, of the fans with the masks, the cardboard cutouts. Uh, but that's that's a great move by the fiance. Very, very impressive. I hope she's behind the netting because she's not going to be able to get out of the way. But that's uh, that that was pretty cool to see, Brady. Uh, I think it's amazing. It's a like, what a power move by the fiance. What a keeper. Um, it wasn't lost on me that the guy who tweeted its name was Diamond talking about the fiance as well. But I, there's a few things that I immediately thought about with this is one, if she figured a way to kind of manipulate herself into the stadium and she was actually one of the fa four faces, you know, actually her, that would have been great. Uh, and then the other thing I immediately, every time I see a person with a cardboard cutout in baseball, it's like, how do you not think of Charlie Sheen wild thing, you know, pitching in the movie major league. So um, would have been obviously kind of a, a morbid, but because it's cardboard funny thought of, you know, a foul ball catching her in the head and flying back in the stands. So I thought it was great. Great fiance move. Love her. I love her already. Uh, uh, that's Taiwan. Uh, the KBO is getting ready to go. Uh, they're aiming at May 5th uh, for their opening day in Korea. Um, and again, we've heard endlessly that, you know, there will be no fans in attendance. It's too complicated. Uh, however, in South Korea, they have handled the virus and because of the size of the country and the way they've handled it, they probably had the best run uh, of any country, at least that I've read about in terms of containing things and sort of being on their way to returning to normalcy. So they're now floating ideas about the possibility uh, of fans being able to be there in a way. Uh, they're currently, at least according to this report, considering a plan that would allow 20 to 25 percent capacity that would gradually increase, uh, I guess, only 10 new cases of COVID-19 reported there today. Again, asterisk, a billion things could or you know probably will change and everything like that. Um, but again, all eyes, Randy, I'm sure, on the KBO, especially if they're able to open the doors. Apples to oranges, smaller country, different part of the virus, et cetera, et cetera, or different, you know, part of where they're at with the virus. Uh, but nonetheless, if they're able to have some fans in attendance, it could at least present, you know, something of a blueprint as to how you could pull that off in the future. 
Oh, I definitely agree 100% with that. And I think overall, too, is, you know, any any type of baseball, like, you know, last week we talked about, if we could if we could just get baseball back on TV, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, will survive a lot better if we continue this to stay at home. And if you give me some baseball games to watch, guys, I can, I can, I can stay a little bit longer, you know. I think it's really, really important and critical that we get some sports, you know, some somehow get some sports back on TV. You know, I mean, I'll continue to watch the reruns, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't care if it's a World Series of poker and I, I already know who's going to win the hand. Man, I've seen it so many times, you know, but I mean, it's and it's just entertainment. And I, I just uh, the sooner we can get that back on TV, I think that we're going to start getting healthier and healthier. Yeah, I think that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, speaking of the KBO, if you've been watching the show, uh, you'll know that we have adopted to Padre Social Hour KTV. That's our team in the KBO. I don't want to hear about anybody else. NC Dinos, nothing. We are a KT Wiz family here on Padres Social Hour. Um, and tomorrow on the show, and this is a change, Cole, I apologize. Uh, tomorrow on the show, we are going to have a scouting report from an actual Padres scout on KT Wiz. So be wow. sure to be here tomorrow to learn more about KT Wiz. Odrisa Mer Despagne is on that team. That's a big, big, big part of the reason why we chose them to follow. Uh, and uh, so tomorrow we're going to dive in uh, to all of that. Mark Feinstein of MLB Network and MLB.com in just a moment. I just want to make sure, Brady, Randy, you're good with this. You're, you're on the Wiz train. Oh, yeah. I mean, now I know. Now I know. Nobody beats oh. the Wiz. Yeah, now Nobody I know. Beat- Unfortunately, in their first few years in the league, everybody beat the Wiz. Uh, they finally uh, <laughs> for the first time. But well, you know, that was pre-OD. He remember? Did he bring his little parrot with him that he used to carry on a show? Remember that? Freaking love that that parrot that OD had on his shoulder. <laughs> amazing. He was yeah. he was such a, like a fun guy to be around, and it's really hard to explain why. I guess that picture does a good job of explaining it. Odrisa Mary despite he was just I like mean, a how do you dislike dad. someone that's walking around with a parrot on their shoulder? It's hard yeah. to dislike them, right? Yeah, that's fair. And he's I mean, talking to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's his friend. It wasn't even his. Yeah. I think it was Tony Patricas or something like that. That was the best part. It wasn't even his parent. He just borrowed the parrot. <laughs> right. And yet the parrot now lives in infamy with OD. What do you That's mean? it. They're connected forever in all yeah. in all of our memories. All right. So tomorrow we'll yeah. have the uh, unveil of the big KT Wiz scouting report as we continue to learn more about our favorite team in the KBO. All right, mention Mark Feinstein of MLB Network and MLB.com. Uh, he does a great podcast uh, where he talks to different baseball executives. Uh, there's a, a whole library of them on MLB.com. The one that premiered today uh, involves the Padres assistant general manager, Josh Stein. Really interesting conversation about a bunch of stuff. I had the opportunity to catch up with Mark earlier today to discuss that podcast and also what's going on in baseball. His thoughts right now. Well, Mark, great to see you and do appreciate the time. Let me start with the hat right off the bat. 2016 All-Star Game at Petco Park. Very nice. What do you remember about that Midsummer Classic? Well, I figured I would wear it just for the spirit of Padres uh, social hour, you know. Um, I, the thing that stands out to me was definitely Giancarlo Stanton and his home run derby performance. You know, he's a guy, he's the kind of guy going into a derby, you always say, well, if that guy gets a go and he's going to be a monster. And that's exactly what he was. And uh, I remember the yellow and brown uniforms on the home run derby. Those were certainly throwbacks uh for those of us who grew up in the 80s uh watching the padres so uh yeah it was that stanton's performance certainly stands out to be above everything else we mentioned the great podcast with josh stein and some of the cool fernando tatis jr stories we'll certainly dive into that uh but first let me ask you i mean i I imagine you're hearing about what we're all hearing in terms of 
the 2020 baseball season, whatever that might be, which is really not much at, at this particular moment. Yeah, I mean, I wish we all knew more. Uh, right now, it's it's sort of a wait-and-see game like everything else pretty much in the country. Uh, you know, the people at Major League Baseball really are going to do everything they can to try to make sure there is a season, uh, it seems, for 2020. The question is going to be, what does that season look like? Where is that season played? When does that season start? Um, you know, I'm hoping, like everybody else, we get those answers at some point in the near future and we can get some baseball back. Because uh, I think all baseball fans out there are probably missing the game really badly. Yeah, those those are not minor details, of course, that you bring up. It's a complicated thing to try and figure out, aside from the the health aspect and everything that goes into it. From that standpoint, um, we've been kicking this around on the show. Do, do you have a sense of like what a minimum number of games might be that we would have to play in order to crown a World Series champion? I mean, if we're going to give that trophy out, if we're going to look back historically and say, "Hey, the 2020 World Series winner is blank." How many games do we have to play to be able to do that without it maybe becoming a bit eh, farcical, for lack of a better word? I mean, I think you'd have to look at probably 80, 81, you know, sort of a half a season as a minimum uh, where I think people are going to look at this as a real season. That said, you know, <laughs> different times, desperate times call for desperate measures. And if there has ever been a year uh, and a scenario where Major League Baseball and really any sport for that matter can sort of tinker with things and try new things and people are a going to understand that the uh you know the circumstances surrounding it are certainly far from normal it's not like mlb is going to say we're going to try this and that's going to be our new standard going forward um you know but i think whatever they can do to try to get a season going and, and get a champion crowned and, and get baseball back uh you know for for the baseball fans out there and uh you know for the league for the players for everybody involved uh, I think they're going to they're going to look at all possible options and uh, and figure something out. And, you know, it's not going to be a traditional baseball season. It doesn't seem in terms of 162 games and regular playoffs. But whatever it is, I think, uh, you know, they'll, they'll they'll make the best of it. And I think baseball fans will understand that, uh, you know, this all is being done out of necessity, not uh, a desire to change things. Yeah, I was going to say the traditionalists probably uh, can back off, you know, some of those complaints this right. season. Uh, when it comes to that uh, along those lines, is there anything you'd like to see from a rule standpoint to say, Hey, if we're going to throw everything up against the wall here in 2020, I'd like to see what this looks like. Well, you know, that, that playoff format that was being floated around uh, during spring training where they extended it uh, to seven teams, only, you know, only the one gets the buy into the division series. I think that's a great, a great format myself. I, I like the idea of adding a team, uh, you know, making the fight for the league's best record mean even, even more um, and, you know, doing, I like the, the best of three, uh, first round idea with the, the, the higher seed getting the, uh, all three home games. I, I think it's sort of a neat idea. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that tested out this year if, if there's a way to do it, but obviously we don't know sort of how deep in the calendar we're going to go, whether home parks are going to be able to use, whether they're all going to be in Arizona or Florida or Texas or wherever it may be. Um, so it's hard to say what you'd like to see, not knowing what's going to be possible. But I did like that that extended playoff idea. I think it would be very fascinating to go back and revisit all these conversations we're having in six months, eight months, 10 months, and, and see how close any of this actually ends up being to reality. Uh, all right. The podcast is called Executive Access Every Monday Morning. Uh, really fun kind of in-depth conversations uh, with different members of baseball front office. This week, Josh Stein of Our Padres. Uh, a personal favorite of mine. And I know a lot of people around this organization. How did you enjoy talking with Josh this week? Josh was great. I had actually never met him before we sat down in Peoria uh, to, to do the podcast. And it was, it was, it was fascinating. It was great. I, I, I like digging into to these podcasts with these executives because most of them have 
something different in their background, something different in their story of how they got where they were. You know, for Josh, the idea of a kid who grew up in San Diego going to work so far for his entire career for his hometown team. I love that. I think it's a, a great story. Uh, you know, he's worked for four different general managers. So he's obviously stood the test of time in terms of going from one regime to the next. Um, and, you know, he's been around for a lot, not only with the Padres, but just in baseball in general. And, you know, we dug into the arbitration process a little bit. Um, I'm, I geek out at arbitration. I, I find it fascinating, the whole process and the whole thing. Uh, I actually went to the, the Tulane University's law school has a baseball arbitration, sal salary arbitration competition every year where they bring in uh, contestants from 40 law schools and they put on these mock arbitration trials. Uh, and, and I saw so I, I was a judge there and I got really into the whole arbitration thing. So talking to Josh, a guy who heads up the arbitration division, you know, department for, for his team uh, was interesting. And obviously we got into some of the transactions that have gone on over the years, whether it was Hosmer signing or Manny Machado signing, obviously the Fernando Tatis trade. So uh, really enjoyable. Mark Feinstein, MLB Network, MLB.com podcast with Josh Stein dropped this morning. You can find it on MLB.com. You mentioned, you know, Josh, at this point, spending his entire career with the Padres through different regimes, everything like that. You obviously know a lot of front office executives in this sport. Just how rare is it that, that he's done what he's done so far in his career? It's pretty rare. I mean, honestly, it's very rare to see one one executive stay with the same team for uh, nearly two decades to begin with, because usually when there is a regime change at the top, uh, you know, that filters down. They bring in their own people, especially in, in positions like assistant general manager. Uh, you know, a GM or a new team president would bring their people in. So to see somebody last through four regimes is rare. Um, but, you know, uh, to see somebody do that in their hometown is even more rare. Uh, so I think, you know, in, in that aspect, Josh's story is a pretty compelling one. Um, and he's, you know, he's seen a lot with this franchise. Uh, and so hearing him sort of go back over it and talk about it all was uh, was very interesting to me. Not to give away uh, too much of the podcast, spoilers, that kind of thing. But I thought the conversation about uh, the scouting of Fernando Tatis Jr. before that trade uh, was really, really fascinating stuff. Some of it I had heard before. Some of it I had not. Um, it, it's amazing that what could go down or perhaps already has one of the most consequential transactions in Padre history has that kind of backstory. What I loved about it was when I went back to do some research and I looked at the stories that we had on MLB.com when the trade was made. And it said the Padres have acquired right-hander James Shields for a pair of minor leaguers. There was no name. There was no nothing. And when you go back and look at all the coverage, not only at MLB.com, but uh, you know local papers and, and ESPN, uh, Eric Johnson was sort of the headliner in the trade about he's going to, you know, he can assume a spot in the rotation right away. And, uh, you know, they're hoping he can really chip in and, and be a piece of that rotation. Tatis was was almost a, a secondary thought in the whole trade. He was 17 years old. He had not played a professional game yet. Uh, and as Josh went into it, you know, the scouting, their scouting of Tatis and knowing about him came from watching him in, on the backfields of spring training sites. Uh, so, you know, not official actual baseball games, you know, sort of little pickup instructional league or or, uh, or extended spring games. So, you know, the fact that that part of the transaction was so minor, even if you're a White Sox fan, yeah, you can kick yourself and say, God, if we only had Fernando Tatis Jr. still, but there was no outrage at the time. His name wasn't even in the top three or four paragraphs of each story. Remarkable stuff. Uh, Mark, really enjoyed the podcast. Again, folks can find it on MLB.com today and every Monday morning this week with Padres assistant GM Josh Stein. Glad to hear the family is hanging in. Thanks for hanging with us and uh, continue to stay safe. And check out the archives. We've got some other Padres guys in there as well. Logan White, one of my other guests uh, who was, uh, you want to talk about the amateur scouting business. 
Logan White is a fascinating podcast to listen to. Mark Feinstein, MLB.com, MLB Network. And again, big thank you to him. Uh, bring back Randy and Brady. A couple more minutes to go on this show. Uh, I got a couple of questions that have come in, by the way, on social media. So keep firing. Oh, RJ's here. He is. Hey, RJ finally showed up, man. <laughs> uh, that's a good boy. Uh, a good boy, man. He's a good kid, man. Uh, yeah, you are. Good boy. <laughs> RJ's a regular at Petco at times. Um <laughs> Uh, we've got some, as I said, questions coming in. We'll answer those in a couple of minutes. Uh, Fine Sands had a lot of interesting things. Uh, Brady, to me, though, none more interesting uh, than the fact that Tulane University does mock arbitration hearings. How do I sign up? <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I, I, to be a fly on the wall in an arbitration hearing and then to hear, like, oh, no, they really do that. They do mock ones. And, you know, I don't, who knows how accurate they are, but I would absolutely love to be a part of that. I mean, the, the whole, I haven't listened to this podcast yet, so I'm, thrilled to be able to because i think stein is totally underrated i don't think he gets enough credit um mark had mentioned that it's amazing that he's lasted over uh this many gms i would argue that he's actually excelled over this many gms and so i i really am excited to hear about it and um uh, listen to the podcast and my favorite uh stein story i mean he used to literally hold the radar gun like he was the radar gun guy behind <laughs> and now he now he's the assistant gm it's incredible I love that. That's great stuff. Theo was once the radar gun guy for the Padres as well. He's also gone on to do some pretty big things in baseball. Theo? No. Yeah, I can't no. think of anything. Yeah. That's Nick Brady. Nick Brady, we got to get you on the radar gun. That's what we have to do. Oh, yeah. I'll, bro, I could no. easily top 50. Easy. <laughs> no, I'm talking about holding it, man. Then we'll get you into, you know. <laughs> I don't think there's a guy anymore. I think it's just all like with the, the oh, radar and everything. No. And Gotta have a guy. I, I really thought that. you wanted me on the mound, Randy, but now I just you you want me in my don't, in my place just holding your electronics. Don't, don't lose your head. Okay. I challenged don't. you in 2016. I could hit you, and you you didn't take me up on it. You know, and so the, the bet is still on, my friend. Yeah, yeah I did you a favor. That's all <laughs> I can do. Did you a little bit embarrassing? In your anticipation of hitting me, I might have just smoked you. I might have hit you. <laughs> Hey, big boy. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I'll <laughs> crawl back into my cave. Thank you very I much. Like I like you a lot. Uh, with everything happening in baseball, obviously, uh, and, and the world, things are being postponed and canceled. That was the case, unfortunately, this weekend. Uh, the Texas League All-Star Game has uh, officially been canceled for this year. That is relevant to us because it was supposed to be uh, at Hodgetown in Amarillo at the Padres at AA affiliate uh, in what would be the second year of the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Uh, so obviously very disappointing for the for the organization and for that community in West Texas. Uh, but a cool thing is that the Texas League said it will be held there uh, in 2021. So that obviously is good news. Also want to throw this up here uh, before we get out of here, the uh, Padres Foundation weekly auction uh, benefit in relief efforts. Some really uh, good stuff this week, including as we spent all that time last week talking about the 98 team and reliving their glory, uh, an autograph World Series baseball from the 98 Padres. That's very cool. Kenzie Gore autographed ball, get it while you can. And an Eric Hosmer autographed youth glove. That is a right-handed throwing glove, Randy. I apologize. Yep. Uh, but uh, you check all that stuff out at padres.com slash auctions. And again, benefiting COVID-19 relief efforts. Yeah, that's super cool. That 98 ball, just the ball alone, if there were yeah. no signatures on it, is really cool. And I like that they specify it's a youth right glove. For the Hosmer autograph, like as if anyone who were 
to spend money on that Hosmer autograph. Like he's actually going to be like, let's go play with this. You know, like it doesn't really matter if it's like youth or which hand, like it's going to be displayed. Right. I feel like with kids, with kids, you never know though. Like a kid might be disappointed and there's like a left-handed kid out there, RJ. And he, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Before this is gonna be the last thing for today. Uh, This, this guy's yelling about how we haven't answered his question. Trevor, patience, Trevor, Uh, top five ballparks in the league right now. I'll let you go in any order you want, uh, Brady, Randy, and then I'll go last. The top we just fired him off? Let's hear him, Randy. Let's hear at least a Hi. couple. Of, no. Nah. Well, as I say, I'll, I'll start in San Diego. I think it's the best ballpark. I like Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, I still like San Francisco. I remember we opened up Seattle. I still like Seattle. Um, I'm not sure about Houston. Houston, the jury's still out there. So, uh, the new, the new Shea. Yeah, anything other than the old old Shea's ballpark, hey, that's, that's got to be one of my top five right there. Is that Get the official name, the new Shea? Well, that's what I'm calling. <laughs> I think, you know, there's there's historical and there's current is the way that I kind of, and it's hard to differentiate between, um, you know, which one and where they stand. But, I mean, Petco, and as much as I hate the Giants, that ballpark in San Francisco is really amazing right there on McCovey Cove. Um, but I do hate the Giants. I do think they have a great ballpark, though. And then I haven't been to the new Yankee Stadium yet, but I was at the uh, the last year I traveled to watch the Padres play a series at the old Yankee Stadium just for the history of that place. Um, and then, obviously, Fenway and Wrigley. Yeah, uh, I'll go in no particular order. Petco, San Francisco, Seattle, Pittsburgh, and probably Wrigley. Or Fenway, you know, same, but like you said, it's a little weird doing apples and oranges, you know, with that kind of stuff. Right. It's not from a broadcast standpoint either. That's just sort of like enjoying it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, not from like dialogue. which one has the nicest booth for you to be in and the best angles to look at. Yeah. That stuff. That's a separate list. That's all. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, you would not that's, a, that's a completely different list, man. <laughs> like the best <laughs> clubhouse, I'm sure. Same thing, Randy, yeah. right? Like, oh, best sure, yeah. versus clubhouse. Yeah. You bet. How, uh, Randy, how bad was the Wrigley Clubhouse back in the day? Oh, my. You couldn't change expressions in that little clubhouse, guys. You, 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 <laughs> sh- you had to shower in shifts. It was so small. Unreal. <laughs> and then you know, the greatest part about it is they never redid it like, <laughs> until last year. I love it. I mean, you talk about nostalgic, but even going down the stairs where you got all the fans are right there. Yeah. It's like you're in a cage, you know, yeah. and they're yelling at you and you're going down the stairs. And then you go through the tunnel into the. Uh, into the uh, the bench area, the dugout, uh, and pretty classic. I mean, he's been there, you know, since inception. And I'm, I always reflected on that. And it would, would be my first year there thinking of all the great players that I was walking along that same little tunnel where, yeah. you know, Babe Ruth and all the greatest ball players of all time, they walked through that same tunnel. That was, that was just a cool feeling. I'll never forget it. Never That's forget really cool. that feeling. That's Unreal. Awesome. Well, uh, big thanks to both of these gentlemen, Randy Jones and Brady Phelps, for joining the show today. Also to Mark Feinstein of MLB.com, MLB Network, MJ Acosta of NFL Network. We really covered our bases today, and uh, we'll be back at it on tomorrow's show as well. We'll have our uh, daily dose of KT Wiz, give you the scouting report on our new favorite KBO team, and uh, also have some other fun stuff geared up for tomorrow. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes. Thanks to everybody who hung out, watched, and listened. And we leave you with a, a live look. Uh, Petco Park, downtown San Diego, a place we literally all wish uh, that we could be at right now. Have a great night, everybody. Stay safe, wash your hands, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 530.